A few weeks ago, the DPP held its first European Broadcaster Summit in Berlin. It was a workshop-style event designed to enable really direct and honest exchange, first between the 14 broadcasters that attended and then, in turn, between them and their supplier community. It was a really great encounter that reminded us of the benefit of people meeting face-to-face. But for all that, this was still an event happening firmly in COVID times, and that meant there were still plenty of great people who couldn't attend. So in this podcast, we're going to turn the absence of two of those people to our and your advantage. We're going to be talking to the CEO of Signiant, Margaret Craig, and ITV's Director of Business Transformation for Content Supply and Distribution, Zoe Carter. And we're going to ask them, when you look at the summary we published of our discussion in Berlin, what do you think? In short, if we asked you to mark our German homework, what score would you give us? Hello, my name's Mark Harrison. I'm the CEO of the DPP. And as always, I've got company. First of all... Hi there, I'm Rowan. I'm the CTO at the DPP. Now, Rowan, we're just back from uh, NAB, of course. Indeed, it was uh, was very good of them to sort of squeeze that little small industry event in between these two major DPP events that we had. Yeah, yeah, it passed the time in the gap, didn't it? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, next week we're going to be in Dulles, just outside Washington, D.C., for our Media Supply Festival. But, of course, shortly before NAB, we were in Germany for our European Broadcaster Summit. Um, But, tragically, we were not joined there by our two uh, guests that we have today. Um, now, Signiant was present and Signiant very kindly helped to make the event possible. So big thanks to them. They were one of our sponsors for the European Broadcaster Summit. Um, but sadly, we didn't have uh, Signiant CEO, Margaret Craig, who's with us today. Hi there, Margaret. Hi, Mark. Very good that you can join us for this conversation. And, and similarly, we had ITV very much present. In fact, a couple of, of, of Zoe's colleagues helped us with uh, running the workshops. But but Zoe, you, you fell victim to COVID, didn't you, just a day or two before the event? Yes, I did. The whole family went down. <laughs> so sadly, you weren't there. But again, great to have you with us today. Um, OK, I am really, really keen to hear from you both about uh, what you made of the outputs from from that two-day summit. Um, Margaret, perhaps I can begin with you. Just in, in, in overall terms, when you looked at the report and the executive summary, what did you make of it? Any big surprises? Well, first of all, I thought it was a really good read. It was really compelling, and it made me wish I had been there because I think a lot of the topics that were covered were really important topics for the industry to talk about. So in terms of surprises, I know we're going to get to this a bit later, but I was a little surprised by the the statements that we need to, we aren't broadcasters anymore, we need to be media companies. And so I was surprised by that and the accompanying leaning in quite so hard on build instead of buy. 
So I was a little surprised by that. I know there's a lot of um, discussion about those things in the industry, but I was a little surprised by how much um, the whole uh, summary seemed to lean in on that. Hmm. That's interesting. We will definitely be getting into both those topics. Zoe, for you, what were your impressions? Yeah, I think to echo what Margaret said, I think it was a really interesting read. And um, I think personally, it sort of summarises all the issues that I think we face in the UK as well, really quite succinctly. Um, I think from a surprise perspective, more, I'd say, interesting, I think that the split around um, needing to capture as much metadata as we possibly can and then enrich it versus is actually about the quality of what we capture, not the quantity and how that's driven down in an organization. I found that actually really quite interesting. Um, and I mean, it all interlinks with each other so much throughout the entire report. So I won't jump into that now because uh, you know, I'm sure we'll have some good discussion around the points Margaret's raised and what I've just raised as well. Absolutely, we will. Yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe we can, though, start actually uh, with, with the question of metadata. Um, because it was, in fact, when we brought uh, the suppliers into the room that we most strongly got this diversion view, didn't we, Rowan, about, you know, with some saying, really, it's, you know, we have to find ways of capturing much, much more. And others saying, you know, that's, that's, not, what's, that's not what matters, actually. If you, if you can capture and maintain a small amount really well, you will, get, you will be amazed how much value you get. Right. I, th I think that's it, is that there's there's long been this view that there's a huge amount of data available, you know, right from the point of inception of a piece of content through to the point that it's broadcast or, or you know, delivered to audiences. And if, if only we could capture all of that cumulatively along the way, then we'd solve all of our problems. But but as you say, I think, you know, some are starting to take a bit of a view that that perhaps it's more about choosing the most relevant pieces and ensuring they're captured in a in a high quality way um that that is you know reusable and fit for purpose um that, that perhaps that's a, a more pragmatic and useful approach yeah i think i i think i'd add to that and say you know it really is about the quality of what we're capturing and making sure that it is a high quality at the start but i think that there's something as well around the people that are capturing it understanding the importance of what they're actually capturing and how it impacts the actual content journey ultimately to how the viewer experiences finding that content. Um, so I think that comes down to a complete sort of mindset shift and also looking at how we traditionally probably structure things like the expectation and the discussion around, you know, it's much harder to try and drive change right up the supply chain in the more creative types of the role. You know, is it, you know, you're at a point where you just have to accept that they are creative people. They work very, very differently to how quite a lot of the rest of the supply chain does. And, you know, my own personal view is if that is ever going to become a bit more digitized, that's going to take a couple of generations before you've got the people that have established their ways of working in a, in a digital way. So instead of sort of trying to push on that door all the time, thinking more about as an organization, how do we structure ourselves differently so that we're partnering with that part of the business to make sure that we're getting really good quality metadata at the start, but by people that actually understand what that really means. So I find that so interesting, Zoe. Um, 
you know, yeah, I, I, I was listening to people in the in the summit, you know, the broadcasters particularly talking about this challenge, and just like every single broadcaster essentially saying that working with production is a nightmare, and and almost actually almost it was almost that the closer the production groups were to them, and if they're in house production, they were the biggest nightmare of all, because at least when they are sort of acquiring contracted content they can they can specify we need this and this and it w- kind of will come in the deliverables but when they're working with their own teams they're actually they actually encounter you know pushback face to face and it made me wonder whether you know for now at least we just have to accept that we're going to be we when i say we i mean broadcasters and distributors are going to be having to just work with what they get from production, even if that means having to repeat work that could have been done earlier. But maybe that's too fatalistic. Yeah, I I mean, I think that uh, there's a couple of things in there as well, though, because, you know, ITV obviously has its own studios as well. And normally I think they are quite compliant. If you're clear enough about what you want, they're normally, they, they want to give you what you're asking for. I wonder if the challenge is a bit more that as broadcasters, we're not exactly clear on what we want. So we know that we want lots of metadata or we know that we want really good quality metadata, but have we yet figured out what's really critical metadata for us to be able to drive the consumer experience that we're looking for or to get the insights into the consumer behavior that we want? Have we really defined that? So therefore it's harder to sort of mandate it and police it because we're asking for everything, but because we're not really 100% clear on what is the must-haves, apart from what we've always known the must-haves, it becomes much harder to say, you know, you must deliver that and there are consequences or, you know, it, it's quite significant if you don't because we're still going through such a learning curve. Well, I think you make a great point there, Zoe, about people understanding the use of, of that data and to... You know, to answer the question that you didn't ask me, Mark, about, you know, one of my kind of key reflections on the event, I, I know I don't get to answer because I was there, but um, but there was a lot of talk of just explaining motivations to yeah. people, right? So, you know, Zoe, you've 100% picked it up in terms of in terms of that production conversation about data, but we got the same in terms of the customer supplier conversation where some of the key vendors were saying on day two, you know, we want to help you achieve your goals. But if you come to us and just say, you know, we want to go to the cloud, it's very hard to be to be helpful. If you come to us and say, these are our business objectives and we want to go to the cloud because we want to achieve the following benefits, then we can sit and talk to you about how to achieve that. And and so there was a really, really interesting sort of conversation, I think, through the two days about, about you know, just being open with the people we work with inside of our businesses and, uh, you know, across our business-to-business relationships. Yeah. I think what we're converging on here is that it's intrinsically harder to deal with people than computers. (laughs) Damn it, yes. Um, (laughs) But Signiant, of course, Margaret, has, you know, has always dealt with kind of all parts of the supply chain and you know you've worked with with production companies just as you've worked with broadcasters have, have you found the production community to be a more difficult customer it, certainly we need to be aware that it is the people-centric end of the supply chain mm. 
right? And I think it, it always comes down to that, is that people do have stronger views and emotional attachments to tools and um, ways of doing things that you can't just reprogram like you can a computer. So certainly um, we do view that segment differently. I wouldn't necessarily say it's harder to deal with. But it needs a different way of being dealt with. Yes. And again, just a high level of awareness that it's people using those tools and that we need to be focused on user experience and low friction in terms of how those people encounter the tools. Yeah, and actually that, in fact, was another theme that that came out in our conversations about the fact that, uh, that even as you do move along the supply chain into the more technical and operational functions that are within media organizations, the same thing is starting to apply because we have fewer and fewer specialist roles in those spaces. You have more and more people having to use a wide range of tools. And so things like usability start to really, really matter now. Yes, I think the the usability thing across the whole chain is really important. And that's one of the areas where coming back to the build versus buy, I think that one of the things that as vendors we can bring is a very broad view of how thousands of users perceive something. Of course, now we're able to measure and A-B test that And so that ability to look across a very broad-based user community and optimize things is something that is very hard to do in-house. So in-house, arguably, you can optimize for your very, very specific user community. But I think it's one of the, the key things that vendors can bring these days is the ability to look at that. Yeah, what do you think about that, Zoe? Because it does that in itself does sound like quite a strong argument against self-build. You know that that risk that you always get with 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 build that you know you make something that works perhaps really well today, but tomorrow when you've got a different group of people using it trying to achieve different things, it just won't have adapted in the way that perhaps a a, a product from a from a vendor might have. Yeah, look, I, I think that's absolutely spot on. I think um, whew, it's interesting because you know, where vendors can bring that knowledge from the wider marketplace, I mean, we, we need to listen better and, and we need to look at, uh, I think, products that we could certainly buy versus build. But I think, you know, sort of jumping straight in, um, you know, the statement that, you know, we're, we're tech companies. If we're tech companies, I don't think most engineers and product managers I know want to buy a lot of products. They'd rather build their own products. So there, you, there, there lies a challenge, I think. We're faced with a constant contradiction because we've become tech companies, but you're not going to buy most of your products if that's what you are. Um, and I think that... You know, I look at the journey that uh, we've been on. I think that there were times in the market where we built products that there just wasn't, there wasn't the range out there or the suitability of product. But the market has moved at such a pace around, I suppose, the digitization of how we move assets around the business. There is no way that a broadcaster can keep up with that. And you need to look at, you do need to really look at um, vendors and partner with them properly, I think, and be 
and, and really sort of change the relationship that we've historically had where it is a big contract and it's over a long period of time and it really does become about a partnership that is a lot more nimble and agile and you're benefic- benefiting from what others are doing out there in the industry as well because you'll never be able to keep up with the, the speed at which things are developing. And it's, it's you know, it's then the things that differ- differentiate how we attract the consumer that we should be focusing on building. And by the way, just just for those uh, listening who maybe haven't read the report yet, um, the, the quote that, uh, that both Margaret and Zoe have um, alluded to was was this one. It was, we aren't broadcasters any longer. We are tech companies that specialise in media. Now, that was a statement made by one of our broadcaster executives um, but the but the important thing is that it really resonated, and a lot of others were nodding and agreeing, and then picking up and using that um, that quote uh, throughout the summit. So it was by no means the view just of of one person. Um, now, Margaret, so you said you were a bit surprised by it. Just tell us more. Yeah, I think it's probably a nomenclature issue. I guess I would question whether the taxpayers or shareholders of those companies really would appreciate them saying they're tech companies rather than companies that deliver content. So I think if you pull it up to the fundamental level, they aren't tech companies because technology is not the thing they're delivering, right? Content is the thing they're delivering. But it does raise the question of the importance of technology to differentiating and achieving those goals. So certainly I agree with the statement that Josh Steinauer made at NAB in his presentation about a dollar spent on technology is going to get you further right now than a dollar spent on content. So I think that's a more nuanced way of capturing it is to say that technology is essential But to the point Zoe just made, you have to figure out where is technology differentiating and where are those places that um, that that should be the focus rather than just broad based saying we're a technology company and implying that you can build and buy all kinds of things. I I think some of the build versus buy and, and, and as you say, Margaret, this comes to nomenclature, right? That there aren't probably that many companies in the world who would really, truly, at the executive level, define themselves as as tech companies, right? Um, I think most companies use technology to achieve particular yes. business goals, um, and and I would say that you know a good ex- a good comparison these days for you know modern media companies, I don't know something like a an e commerce company, right? So. Um, you know, to, to your point about buy versus build, Zoe, yeah, of course, engineers want to build things, but actually very few businesses build things from the ground up. You know, an e-commerce company is probably using um, Shopify for their shopping cart and Stripe for their payments and CDNs for managing their website distribution and probably a, a content management system that they've bought off the shelf and customized and probably advertising or tracking technologies that they brought in. It, it's just about the granularity at which you buy. Do you buy a big full solution, which is what we've historically done in media, or do you buy the individual components and knit them together into uh, into the solution that's right for your business? Um, so I think there will be more integration and more 
more build than there used to be perhaps but i i think anybody who sets out to build everything from scratch is gonna be on a fool's errand in my opinion in my view there is a big experiment underway right now that i think the jury is still out where many media companies have decided that they need to build their own consumer facing stack for um, streaming delivery and i think that's something that in a skeptical view of that would suggest that consumers are telling us that that's not really a differentiator. Consumers are telling us that, yes, there's a bar in terms of the player has to be good enough and the app has to be good enough, but fundamentally they're choosing the content they want to see. And so the notion of differentiating the consumer facing app, again, the jury is still out in my view there. So I think that's one thing that is driving this conversation right now is just that 10 years ago, of course, we didn't have that element to a broadcast's tech stack. Yeah, and, and we've had many sessions in which broadcasters have referred to their kind of special source as, as being in, in their direct relationship with the consumer. And you know, while respecting um, their view on that, I, I do privately and as a consumer find myself thinking, well, would I spot it if I saw it, the special source? You know, do I, do I know what it tastes like from all these, from all these different companies? Um, I mean, Zoe, you, you, must, you must be in these conversations all the time, I'm sure, at ITV. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the big, I think one of the bigger drivers behind it, though, is being able to tap into your customer directly and have control over how you're speaking to your customer, what you're putting in front of them, how you're enticing them. And I think, you know, we can look at it from a, a programming level at the moment, but you know, that's going to shift quite quickly at some point. Right? How we're entertaining them is going to change. It will change quite quickly. And I you know, I think there's probably a bit of a mindset around, well, you know, it's better that we can control that and we can shift that as and when we've got the, I suppose, the, the leading advantage to be able to do that when we want because we're controlling how we're speaking to the customer. So that would be my, my, my view of, I think, some of the dynamics that play into this. So is, is that for you about kind of retaining control of your content and where it sits? Or, or is that actually more about... You know, things like making sure you've got full control of your advertising stack and 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 your sources of data so that um, you know exactly who you're speaking to for as long as you as you possibly can so I, th I think it's a combination of all those things but I think ultimately it will boil down to you know the data and uh, how we're speaking to the customer I think that's ultimately what it will boil down to right Barbara when when you look at all your customers, um, I take it from what you're saying that, that you don't see perhaps as much difference between them as they might see amongst themselves. Spe speaking very broadly, I think that's true. So, you know, if we now wade into the whole question of how special does a broadcaster's technology stack need to be, um, I think, you know, Zoe's point is very well taken that in the part that it directly faces the consumer, 
that's an opportunity for differentiation and competitive advantage. The more upstream you go from that, I think the less things really are special. As we look at thousands of customers, there still tends to be that view that, no, 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 our workflows are highly unique, but it just doesn't look that way from the outside. I think, I, I, it's, yeah, I'd be interested to ask my, why do you, why do you, I'm going to ask the questions out. Why, why do you think broadcasters believe that? Because I, I, I'd agree, I think the further up you go, ultimately we're all doing the same thing, right? We're processing the content, we're doing all sorts of things to it to ultimately get it to our viewers and whatever means. So what, what do you think drives that belief that we're actually quite special? You know, certainly it's true that what we all do is very complex. And I think one of the things that leads to is just big differences in perception as you move upward in the broadcaster's organization. So if you ask engineers at the hands-on level, how unique are the things you're doing? They say, oh, it's ours is completely different. And some of that is what they're, they have a narrow view and they're proud of the contributions they're making. And they lean towards, let's make it unique because that's interesting and that gives me something to do. And that is you know, fulfilling for them. As you move upward in the organization, you get to an executive level person who is much more likely to say, well, no, we need to look for, if it doesn't differentiate us from a business perspective or a consumer perspective, we need to take off the shelf stuff, hook it up and get going. And so I think that's one of the things is just that, and then due to the complexity, sometimes the executives can get bamboozled because it is so complex that it's hard to stay on top of all that. So I think that's one of the things that that I've found, particularly in the last five or 10 years, is that there's just a very big gap as you move up and down the organization of the broadcaster. So can I ask a question on that? I, I, I wonder, does this join together the conversations about tech company versus media company with the conversation about business change? Because I think there is a risk that sometimes companies are unwilling to manage the business change of putting in place comparatively standardized workflows and bringing their, their staff on that journey. And so they build unnecessarily complicated technical solutions to avoid having to do that. That's my provocation. Any, any truth in that, Zoe? <laughs> um, I, 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 don't, I, I think it's probably... Uh, Parts that I would agree with very strongly. Um, I, look, I think ultimately the, the, to truly change the organisation in the way that I think many broadcasters are trying to, you know, it, it, it's quite radical what needs to happen. And that's quite scary and it's quite daunting. And it's also, I think, quite, you know, when you're going through a massive shift in how you're engaging with your viewer as well, to then try and completely turn everything behind that upside down that that's 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 taking quite a lot of risk because the 
knowledge and the experience of those people that you potentially could lose through going through that is quite a daunting task. So, you know, I think there is that. I think it's a question of timing, though. I think, you know, it's a journey that we're on. Um, and I think it's about timing. Because no one wants to, no one wants to push that explode button just yet. And, and hopefully people, you know, I think there's also a hope that people will be able to sort of reorganize and make that change themselves too. But I question whether that's actually ever achievable because to your point and to, to Margaret's point, you know, people are very proud of the work that they do and they're very focused in what they do. And sometimes it can be quite insular and narrow in, in understanding, you know, the wider thing that's going on. So sometimes you do need to press the, uh, the explode button potentially to shake that sort of up because that's human behavior as well and that won't change. Because you always have that. You know that that need to go on supplying that content, don't you? So it always feels as if the machine is 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 moving really, really fast. There's constant activity. Um, there's never a kind of natural moment to take a pause. And and those that are responsible for for getting content in front of consumers will will you know will always better say that the kind of security of that delivery process is paramount. And it does take an incredibly confident executive to to say, I know, but I still think we can completely change things whilst we keep this machinery turning. Yeah, and I, and I also think, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of challenges around resource in the workplace and not being able to get the right resource and a shortage of the right sort of digital skill set that we need. But there is also, you know, a, a, a big pool of people that have worked in the industry for many, many years and are very, very knowledgeable. And, you know, are we really focusing in on those people enough to say that we need, we need to really change, but we need you to come on that journey as in we need you to learn to work differently. We want to train you. We want to reskill you. It's talked about a lot, but are we really doing it? We're not. We're recruiting the skills externally we're not bringing people up within the organization to do that so you you have on one part you're sort of creating fear in people because so well my role will become obsolete I'm not needed in the future of this business and I'm going to hang in there as long as I can and that's probably subconscious that people do that we have a massive shortage so what are we doing to take that knowledge and that passion that we have within our companies on the journey and actually train them because I I reckon in some cases we look a lot quicker to train some of those people than it will be to try and recruit them all. I mean, that is fascinating, actually, what you say there, that, that there maybe is a, is a role for, for older, very experienced people within media organisations to actually now become change agents to actually s- support senior management in, in completely transforming the thing that they've worked in for all this time. And, I guess they make the assumption that that process will will not require them. Or actually, what you're saying is it's their knowledge that can give the executive the confidence that the machine can keep keep churning whilst they make big change. Yeah, I think it's their knowledge and it's these people's passion as well. They've kept the machine turning for years, you know, so they're very passionate about what they do. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting observation. And just to link it back to something we were talking about before, the you know the thing that makes broadcast work is 
people and technology coming together. And in my own experience, that's something that takes a long time to really build a deep understanding of that. And so I think arguably it's some of the most experienced and the people who've been around the longest in the broadcaster really understand that you, you don't replace people altogether. You leverage people with technology. And so some of those kind of subject, that's a subjective skill set, but is something that could really be fostered to bring that into the next generation in a disrupted industry, because that's not going away. It's not going to be 100% automated. No, no, absolutely not. Okay, um, let, let's just move the conversation on a little bit to, to another big theme that, that came out from the summit, which, um, which I found very arresting, which was that, and, and I think this is referred to earlier on, um, a number of broadcasters said to the vendor community, you know, it's now really important that you um, sort of come with us on our journey, that you really try to understand our business outcomes and that you could understand your customer better. And there was a lot of pushback on that. And it, and it wasn't pushback against that notion. There was complete acceptance of the notion. The pushback was, but you haven't been telling us well enough what it is that you're trying to achieve. Um, and really, really interestingly, a lot of broadcasters present went, you know what, maybe that's right. Maybe what you're telling us there is true. Maybe we do have to try harder in that regard. Um, Margaret, what's, what's your view on this? Do, do, do you feel as if uh, a lot of media organisations have been sort of making assumptions that their, their suppliers know what they're trying to achieve without explaining it richly enough? Yeah, I think there's kind of two dimensions to it. One is just taking the time to engage with vendors. And I think that's something that we would all benefit from the broadcasters just resourcing that better, making sure that people at all levels in the organization have a certain amount of time to engage with their tech suppliers. Because some of it is just the the time and bandwidth to have a real in-depth conversation that is bi-directional. So that's one side of it is just the time. I think the other side though, is that in terms of just one-way communication from a broadcaster saying, this is our strategy, that is really important. Because we, if we loop this back to the discussion about metadata, you know, from my perspective, that's very situational. It depends on whether the broadcaster creates most of their content or commissions it or buys it. That's going to have a very different metadata strategy, end-to-end metadata strategy, depending on their content acquisition or creation strategy. And so in order to provide solutions for that broadcaster, we need to understand a lot about their business. So both of those points I would encourage is more time spent engaging with technology suppliers and then really clarifying the needs of each specific business. Zoe, I'm sure you'd you'd agree with that. Um, but I can imagine you're also sitting in a place where you and your colleagues are always 
frantically busy and 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 also find it quite difficult to get the time and the money to, to go and have those conversations. Yeah, I think that's it. I think time is the biggest factor because to make, you know, to really move this forward, it's uh, it has to be a two-way conversation and it's about sharing and it's it's and it's also about doing it at the right level. So being able to get all the people's time that you need because it's not just one meeting. It's not as if you can do this once a quarter job done and we're all moving in the same direction. It it it, it needs to be continual and I think that is the biggest challenge is investing the time but I think having a strategy behind how you want to invest the time with those suppliers as well, being really clear on that and picking, I suppose, picking the suppliers that you want to invest that with and what you're looking to get out of it. Um, I think that's the biggest challenges. That's a really key point about picking the suppliers. So, you know, if I think back to my past lives as, as both a customer and a vendor, I, I would 100% agree with this point. The most successful engagements I had on both sides were where, real time was spent together to understand the key objectives but i i think there is a tension that that we're saying this at the same time that we're saying we want more modular solutions where individual vendors provide us with smaller pieces of the puzzle so that's more vendors involved that you're going to have to sit down and, and have these conversations with and and by the way we also want to be more agile in our development so we're going to be building things up gradually and constantly iterating them over time which again makes it difficult right when you sit down at the start of a two-year project you might you might feel like you can invest in half a dozen two-hour workshops with your key vendor to to go through the strategy and, and the solution in loads of detail but to your point so you're not going to be able to do that you know every quarter with every vendor that you work with right so so uh, I, I, unfortunately, I'm proposing a challenge with, with very little in the way of answer, but, but there is a real tension there between the way that we want to work together and, and what that requires. Do you want to respond to that? <laughs> Sorry, what, what a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I, it's probably, uh, it's, there's not a simple answer to this, um, but I'd agree with everything you said, Ryan. Yes, and, and clearly I agree and would just note here that another one of the, this is another area in which very high level executive involvement from the broadcast community is probably going to be what moves the needle. Because when you come, when you look at a super high level at the resource that is put into engaging with the supplier community, um, one of the places I see the biggest divergence is that some companies are really more moving towards a very modern procurement model where they put less and less resource into that because with things like consumption-based pricing and SaaS models, you don't have a big RFP and spend a ton of resource assessing solutions. You just put it in at a small level start using it and see if it meets your needs and then go from there. That doesn't need a big expensive procurement department, right? And so I do see some of the most forward-looking organizations looking at reallocating procurement resources into the technology itself and into people who engage with suppliers. And I think that's one of the highest leverage things is, but that takes a very high level level view to look out at that macro resource and say, what is the best use of these people in dollars? 
That's a really, really great point. And actually, it reminds me that, uh, to the enormous surprise and interest of many in the room, one of our European broadcasters did report just that, that they they no longer have a procurement department. They've brought all those skills into the technology operation and they now you know manage these things directly themselves. So, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great point, Margaret, about what the future might look like, particularly for those who are brave. Now, we must, we must stop in a moment, but uh, there's one final thing I'd love to ask you both. Um, now, this was, a, this was a summit that was designed entirely for media organisations from Europe. Um, do you feel, Margaret, first of all, do you feel that, that when you deal with European customers, they do seem different from customers elsewhere in the world. Is is there a distinctive kind of European set of concerns? There is, but I would say that they are more alike than different. Right. So overall, trying to achieve the same things with their technology, which of course is where we come in. There are things around the edges in terms of, of course, there are more public service broadcasters in Europe than in the North American business. Um, there sometimes can be different procurement processes that are from a regulatory perspective. So there are things around the edges, but at a macro level, trying to do the same thing. And Zoe, when you find yourself, say, in a DPP event of listening to broadcasters, uh, particularly from North America, does it feel to you like the same conversation as we're having here? Or, or again, do you see differences? No, I, I think Margaret's summed up pretty well. I think there are more similarities than differences for sure. Okay, well, that's um, yeah, that that is intriguing. So that you know, even though you get perhaps a bit more in the way of national regulation and you get these public service commitments and so forth, um, th- those are those provide a bit of complexity, but they're not really the fundamentally different things about media organisations around the world. Yeah, I don't think they change what they're trying to achieve from a supply chain perspective or the decisions they make typically about what's in that tech stack. Right, right. And though people might have a different idea of value when they talk about value, um, they still have to drive value, don't they? Yeah. Well, look, thank you both so much. That has been such a fascinating and enjoyable conversation. Um, I really appreciate uh, you, you both joining us today. Wish we could have had you there. But uh, maybe we've gained even more from the fact you've had a bit of time to reflect upon what others said and then to bring some incredible wisdom as you've just done. So thank you to to Margaret. I really enjoyed it, Mark. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you. And thank you, Zoe. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me and really enjoyed it too. And it was a great read. And uh, and Rowan, well, you're going to be very busy next week, aren't you? Because you're leading the way on our Media Supply Festival. Yes, indeed. It's going to be a busy week uh, in in Dallas, just outside Washington, D.C. We're looking forward to seeing many DPP members there. And uh, and again, we'll be sharing some of the key outcomes uh, in a report afterwards. So do watch out for that. Okay, thanks to all of you for joining us. And we'll see you again next month on another podcast from the DPP. Bye for now. Thank you.